Welcome to the Treasury Tomorrow podcast, a series where we look at the latest and greatest innovations, technologies and disruptive forces that are shaping the corporate treasury of tomorrow. I'm your host, Nick Peterson, uh, and today we're discussing digitization in corporate treasury. Quite a broad topic and one that I have two distinguished guests to join, to join me with to help debunk and demystify what we mean by digitization. We'll tackle data, we'll tackle automation, technologies and even people and, and culture. So without further ado, I'm pleased to, to introduce a fabulous colleague of mine, Jonathan Hall, who is the head of digital for the commercial and institutional business at NatWest. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning or good afternoon. And to give the corporate treasury perspective, Nick Day, who is a digital savvy treasurer, if I can call you that, Nick, the senior treasury manager at United International Pictures. Thanks very much for joining us, Nick. Thanks very much. Looking forward to it. So to, to get straight into it, Nick, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, given the, the corporate treasury experience you have. Um, and I want to I tackle, first of all, what you see as digitization and where you see digital technologies and tools being most impactful and being most used in corporate treasury. Yeah, of course. And I, I think there's a, a couple of areas that, that probably stand out for me. I think the first one is is definitely on data. I think in the last couple of years, data has become so much more accessible. You know, previously, maybe five years ago, if you wanted to get hold of some of the data that we can nowadays, you might have to request it from a bank. You might have quite a maybe lengthy process to get hold of that data. Or if you were pulling it from a system, you might need some technical skills to get hold of that data. But nowadays, this data is so much more accessible. You can pull it quickly and easy from systems. Banks are sharing this data much more freely and accessibly through banking portals and other reports that are generated. Um, one of my favorite things at the moment is just things like Swift GPI. So previously, if I needed to track a payment, I might have to you know, request that from a bank. But nowadays, you can have an API that feeds this straight into your TMS or in lots of banking portals, it's just listed on there, easily accessible, and you can get really granular detail on a payment, tracking where it's been, the payment charges, all of those bits really accessible. And I think as all of this data becomes more accessible, there's lots of tools nowadays that are available to treasurers, often free of charge or a lot cheaper than they used to be in the past to, to utilize that data. One of the best ones that I use, which is quite simple, is just even just dashboarding software. I have a, a treasury dashboard set up and I have it on my phone. I can pull it on an iPad, a laptop, but I can sit in a meeting and I've got this dashboard set up that can pull data from various places. It can scrape the web and it can give me real-time treasury information in a meeting um, when requested. And these tools also have kind of AI technologies built into them. So if you've got a liquidity graph, it can forecast out your liquidity graph and tell you where it reckons your cash position will be. And it might use third party data to try and you know improve the model, the accuracy of that model. And it just makes data so much easier to work with. You don't need to have technical skills. You've got these simple applications that can amalgamate everything, present everything clearly and do comparisons that would not be possible in the past unless you had really sort of technical skills. I think the, the other thing with this data, which is really powerful, is that it's real time. I mentioned that with the dashboards, but... Previously, a couple of years ago, if you'd said to me, you have a NT940 feeding into your TMS to give you a bank statement daily in your system, people would think that was pretty good. 
But the problem with that is that was probably only happening once a day, and it's now considered a bit of a outdated method. You can use an API instead nowadays to feed that data directly into the system, giving you real-time information. And I know for lots of treasurers that I speak to, that real-time information has really transformed their process because they might be waiting to release a product um, when the payment comes in. And if you're getting that in real time, it speeds up your whole kind of business process and you can release products much more quickly and easily, uh, giving a better experience to the customer. So data has definitely been so powerful in the last couple of years. I think there's probably just two other ones that I would just very quickly mention. Um, the second one is, is automation, and, and we can definitely speak more about this. I think lots of people are aware that there's lots of technologies out there to just automate lots of treasury processes, and they're great, and, and we should definitely take advantage of those. And the third thing I'd say is these technologies are just flipping the way we do things on their head. So a good example that we've, we've done recently is if you wanted to receive multiple currencies, um, you might have to have multiple bank accounts set up in the past. Or alternatively, if you had lots of payments and receipts, you might have had to open lots of bank accounts to segregate some of those um, transactions to maybe make them easier to reconcile. But nowadays we have things like virtual accounts, which they have been around for over a decade, but they're a lot easier and quicker to implement nowadays. The banks use them uh, a lot more frequently. And these enable you to maybe have one header account with hundreds of accounts listed under them. And you can have those accounts lowering the bank fees, you know, no, argue, no really difficult kind of uh, banking documentation to go with it. These accounts can be opened really quickly and easily. And it just really transforms the way we do things, having these, these new technologies, these new opportunities. That, that's fascinating, Nick. Thank, thanks for sharing. I think the, um, the, the data piece, I, we definitely see that on our side, and, and there's almost a, a trend of the, the experience you, you have personally with your own uh, personal apps is sort of making its way into corporate treasury as well. You know, you talk about using, using your mobile phone to keep a track on liquidity positions. That, that's really interesting. I guess, Jonathan, it, it drives a bit of an expectation on the bank provider side to, to, to focus on digital products and digital tools. For, for, from your perspective, where do you see the most focus and most use from customers of, of our products. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And it's really interesting to hear uh, Nick chat through kind of his treasury processes and where he's at with the data, because uh, data is kind of incredibly important. I think when I look across my my customer base and how they use the channels, essentially there's there's three broad types. You know, there's the, there's the traditional web-based kind of portals, traditional login, and so on and so forth, where uh, our customers and their users can can go in and, and kind of look at all the different accounts. They can kind of make all their transactions and so on. But what comes with that, of course, is they'll have to download the information, reconcile it, often kind of transpose it, and then upload it into their ERP systems or TMS systems, et cetera. That, those channels are still the predominant channels that our customers use today. We then have kind of the direct host-to-host um, uh, type proposition, uh, which many people uh, listening to this will be familiar with, traditionally file-based. So that uh, links our payment systems directly with um, our customers' kind of ERP or TMS systems. And we've seen some strong growth in there, very much file-based though, so batch-based and so on. Um, but what Nick was talking about, of course, is the advent of APIs. So although over time, 
we'll see, <coughs> excuse, excuse my voice. Uh, although over time, we'll see APIs most likely start to become the dominant host-to-host -host direct type proposition, they're still in relative infancy in terms of their adoption, notwithstanding the ability to give our customers real-time or near real-time 24-7 access to their liquidity positions to help them manage, um, oversee, and um, essentially look at in, in that real-time, but on the real-time basis, we'll see the APIs overtake. So they're essentially the three channels that, that we deploy for our customers at the moment, Nick. Interesting, Jonathan, you talk about that some of these services are still in the infancy of, of adoption. And I think that, that makes me think about automation, Nick, because data makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of rich access to data through APIs, but moving through that step through to then automate an entire process, it's not all, it doesn't always happen so, so simply. And, and I guess, are there parts of Treasury that you, you, know, you really don't think are relevant for automation and still require that, that manual intervention and manual touch? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I personally love automation. And I, I think there's so much that can be and should be automated in a, in a treasury department. Anything that's boring or could be standardized, in my opinion, should be should be automated. So to give you a couple of examples, uh, you know, transactions, we should always have straight through processing. They should just fly through sm smoothly with no sort of manual intervention. Data feeds, in my opinion, should just be automatic into a system. Um, simple calculations, a, a great example in, in my team recently is we have our cash position, our actual cash position, and we have our forecasted cash position. And traditionally, if I'd said, can you can you tell me what's driving the variance between the two, someone in the team would have to go and do an hour's calculation to try and pick out all the variances and work out what's driving it. We've set up now just an automatic daily reconciliation that spits out the two numbers and gives you a clear breakdown of what all of the component parts are driving that variance. Those simple calculations should be automated to free up time for more value-adding work. It's, it's not about replacing jobs, it's about making more fulfilling, more interesting jobs where you can add more value to the business. Um, if you've got a simple hedge program, for example, if you take a very time diversified approach, then those sort of things could be automated as well. And you can layer in those hedges in an automated process. Traditionally, a treasurer is someone that manages the bank account, and that can be done by a computer nowadays. Nowadays, I see the role of a treasurer as a financial consultant to the business on all financial risk management, making those just strategic decisions. And it's those strategic decisions which in my opinion really can't be automated. So for example, if you're looking at hedging, things like options, I personally don't think can be automated because they're very uh, strategic decisions. Uh, I was at a corporate previously and we did some Brexit insurance where we, we put some option products on and they're the very bespoke products that require in-depth thinking about know what factors you want to include it's a commercial decision often at a board level and those sort of decisions i don't think can be automated i think that's a really clear way of looking at it nick so use tools to automate the mundane repetitive tasks and then when there are scenarios to get strategic that require rapid thinking you have the ability to to spend time on it um i guess jonathan how, how does that fit with with, with NatWest in terms of how we think about supporting this transformation in corporate treasury, as Nick describes. 
Very much uh, aligns to what we're trying to achieve for our for our customers and, and clients, Nick. I think the, w- the way I think about it is the phrase, you know, what, what can be digitized will be digitized over time. Um, it's just a question of money, time, prior- prioritization, etc. But whatever those mundane processes are, they will be digitized. It's just a question of when. I think the interesting bit then becomes, as technology increases, the advent of artificial intelligence and things of that nature, and as that becomes more mature over time, it will be interesting to see how far up the curve that Nick was talking about in terms of the value-add and the value-added services, how much of that could be digitized, and at what point do humans then get involved in some of those decisions or the interventions, et cetera. But in terms of automation, it's, you know, as soon as you add humans, unfortunately, the error rates increase, right? And what, what, what our customers look for is resilience, dependency, you know, above anything else, especially when it comes to payments and data and uh, our customers being able to reconcile everything. So it's, you know, the end-to-end automation is absolutely critical. So that, that's kind of how, how, I, how I think about that. And in terms of prioritizing, prioritizing what we do first, second, and third, you know, we, we'll, we'll take feedback from our customers. We'll talk to our relationship managers to see what's important to their customers. We'll look at market research and so on. So we, we try and develop that prioritization very much hand in glove with our customers. It makes a lot of sense. And it's, it seems like you, you're both on the same trend just from different sides of of, of the of, of the coin how, how nick from your side how do you think through who the right partners are for for these these services what what, what are some of the, the the tips that you you found successful on the treasury side to 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 sort of see through a lot of the noise and and, and get to the point of what's what could be useful for you yeah, definitely. So I think Treasury comes with risk. It's all about managing risk. And if things go wrong in Treasury, it can be quite, you know, catastrophic failures. You're losing money with cash and FX risk. You could have a cyber breach. So there's lots of things that could go wrong if you were to use the wrong partner or have a bad implementation. So I think when it comes to picking suppliers, for me, it's definitely about reputation, trustworthiness, and that credibility of the supplier. I also think treasury is a small world and talking to other corporate treasuries is key for things like, you know, this podcast sharing different people's experiences is, is definitely key. I've been on two meetings this week where they've known other treasurers that I've, I've known as well. And those conversations about what's gone well for other treasurers, what hasn't worked well, what learns do you have is definitely really important to, to make your uh, implementation go smoother as well. So those I'd say were the big things, you know, having a, incredible records you don't want to be the first to, to implement something with a new company and then talking to other corporate treasurers talking to your bankers having that relationship with people um, to, to get those kind of in-person feelings that makes sense um, certainly from the perspective of going with trusted partners that you've got a track record um, with and and I guess Jonathan for, for, from the NatWest side do, do we think about partners and software vendors in that light as well you, we've got to be very conscious of the resilience you talked about earlier, um, but also keep up with the pace of innovation. Uh, Absolutely. Um, It's critically important, Nick, that we pick the right suppliers um, because ultimately, you know, the decisions that we make 
um, and with whom we partner with could have a consequence on, on our customers. So that trust is uber, uber important. Um, and we've had to think very carefully about um, how, how we ensure that we still have the right mix of skills and capabilities um, to do the things that we need to do on behalf of our customers. And that's, you know, from core tech skills uh, to kind of make the changes to our kind of legacy systems and update those and improve those and make sure that they are robust and we can deliver on that, resi that resilience and integrity point. Whilst also we've got to think differently about the, the range of skills now across some of our areas, because actually with the advent of things like cloud, API technology, other bits and pieces, actually the supplier management is as important as the tech skills, which, uh, which, which are still obviously very important, but we've seen that, that spread and that mix as you know, the traditional legacy infrastructure that the banks all have kind of you know, gets spread across different suppliers in the cloud, be it you know, GCS or AWS, whatever it may be. So we, we, we have some kind of other considerations that we've been working through over, over the kind of recent months and years. I think that the, the skills and talent piece is a very interesting one, Jonathan, because certainly what we're seeing in the capital markets world is that the, the newer generation of bankers are, are much more technology literate than than I was when I came to the business, and I think you know Steve Jobs is famous for being a non-technologist, um, you know, running one of the most successful technology firms. But I wonder if that, I wonder if that would be different now. You know, technology skills, basic coding skills, are being taught in schools, and I think it's going to be quite quite common. And Nick, do you, do you see that in the treasury space with the, with the skill set shifting towards technology? Definitely. And all I can say is, is wow, I, I like to think I'm good with technology and keep up to date with these things. But you see new people coming through and, and their skills are just even better and it keeps getting better and better. And I think the thing I really notice is that these new individuals that are filtering through just expect some of the things that we've been talking through as a standard. They expect the boring stuff to be automated and for them to be working on more value adding product projects. And if you're not doing that, they really question why and kind of uh, want to know, you know how they can solve it. And, and to be honest, I think you'll lose talent if you're not automating the boring stuff and, and doing some of these more advanced uh, technology pieces. So uh, I've, I run a small SQL coding course to try and keep the training going. And I think it's also a two-way training thing. I think you've got the new people coming through who are really hot on the new technology. And then you've got other people in the organization who aren't as hot on the technology. And um, the people at the top can train downwards on the technical skills of the treasury stuff and the people at the bottom kind of training up with actually those computer skills the coding skills um, but I definitely think training nowadays and ongoing training to keep those skills up to date is so so important and if you're not doing that you're not doing some of the things that we're talking from the call today you, you'll definitely lose talent. Jonathan I'm going to guess that resonates on your side as well in terms of how to how to structure a successful but multi-diverse team um, 100%. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the point that kind of all the different roles we have in the bank really need to have some understanding of technology because it's so embedded and so implicit in everything that we do in today's world that you, you, you can't not, um, as a you know, junior executive, senior executive, whatever role you, you play, 
um, you have to be able to understand the implications of doing something or not doing something from a tech perspective and its impact on customers. So, you know, I agree with everything that's been said. I think the uh, the only other bit I'd say is the one of, one of the balances that I I constantly have to 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 strike is we all use in our personal lives the kind of you know the latest apps and so on and you know we're, we're all used to having all of this mundane stuff automated as as Nick's articulated and but actually it's delivered in really good experiences. Um, actually, the commercial bank and business banking elements. Um, uh, of that experience management is probably six to seven years behind, say, the retail banks. So we're constantly trying to play catch up. And what we're seeing now from our customers is actually an expectation of why why have you not done that yet? You know, we're seeing that played through quite vocally now in in some of our customer service scores and verbatim. So we're, you know, we're having to kind of constantly do the mundane and digitize, but make sure the experience is right, whilst also focusing on on some of the more um, kind of interesting, more innovative elements as well. So striking that balance and just making sure that we that we get both of those right is 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 a challenge. I think that, that's a very interesting point, John, because striking the balance is also probably a very good way of describing it digital transformation whilst you know it it can be quite long and expensive and it can be quite heavy you know we've all been involved and everybody listening has probably been involved in digital programs that went well and others that didn't go so well and i guess on the treasury side it's it's no no different nick, nick how, how do you think about you know because you, you can't automate everything tomorrow despite all of us seeming to want to do that um, how do you how do you how do you strike that balance of of getting the message across about what's really important to get done and what what could wait and what can we pick up next year and so forth? Yeah, I think before I get into that question, the key thing that you said there for me is is it can be. I think if you're doing a big TMS or an ERP system implementation, those things are hard. They take a long time. They are expensive. It's it's difficult, but. Digital transformation doesn't have to be hard, long and expensive. It can also be quick and easy. I think there's so many things we've mentioned a few today, like dashboards. You could set that up in a week, you know, data feed straight through processing, uh, virtual accounts that we've set up recently. Those accounts, the bank could set those up quicker than we could get the internal approval. These things can be really quick now to set up. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn out process. And I think for me, it's... um, having those quick wins is really important if you can implement some of those things quickly and show to the board that you're able to do these things prove the benefits quickly then often when it comes to a big tms implementation they've already got that trust and they're more willing to go down that path with you so definitely prioritize some quick wins I would personally look across all of the key risk areas that you have in your treasury team. So liquidity risk, FX risk, uh, funding risk, dig into those and see what are the key processes and can any of these technologies that we've talked through today just be implemented quickly to to help you with some of those things. Okay, that's smart. So prioritize the quick wins, build credibility, and that gives you the the strength to to sort of t- tackle the the heavier projects that you might want to. Jonathan sounds very similar to how we how we try and approach things at NetWest. For sure, um, absolutely. So again, lots of lots of things resonate. I think you know, again, it's, it's back to the balance point. I think where 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at investing in, into our core legacy platforms to make sure, you know, that resilience is there, make sure we've got the capacity, you know, we're still seeing um, significant growth uh, through certainly our host-to-host channels and, you know, my kind of forecast growth in APIs is, is significant. So we just got to make sure that actually, as our customers continue to use us more and more, more we can deliver on their expectations. Um, and then it's that balance of, you know, how do we work with um, our customers and clients to actually develop our products and solutions, which really meet their needs. And we kind of help them remove their friction. You know, that's really what we're here to do. You know, supply, you know, supply them with the products and services, which really meet their needs and, and helps them improve their businesses. So it's, it, it's that two-way flow of information about how we then de- you know, develop our roadmaps to then get those to market for, uh, for future adoption. Makes a lot of sense. We, we've, guys, we've touched on quite a few different different areas here: I mean, data, people, and skills, balancing digital transformation with quick wins. And what, what would be, Nick, if I could ask you, what was the one thing you want the audience to, to walk away from from, from this discussion? Well, that's a big question. Um, I, I think for me, uh, for me, it's it's this is happening right here, right now. Like if you're not already doing some of this stuff, you you can implement it quickly now. Um, I don't think it has to be, you know, big and scary. I think years ago, some of these things were really challenging, but lots of these things now are set up. People have done them lots of times and you can implement them quickly. So just don't be scared of it. And if you haven't got some of these things set up, like go for it straight away now, get get some of them set up. And, and like we said on the talent piece, it's going to help retain talent. And at the same time, uh, like we said, push the customer experience uh, forward as well. It's, it's that balance of those two things. Don't don't be scared and go for it. Uh, great, great advice, Nick. Um, Jonathan, from, from your side, what, what's the one thing you want the audience to, to leave with? Yeah, I think the I think it's the advent of API technology. That's the future. Um, and you know, we we don't have all the answers. Uh, and actually, you know, we're very very keen to develop our suite of APIs in conjunction with our customers. Um, you know, there's huge amounts of opportunity. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, Jonathan, for joining me. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be right back.